My name's Justin. I'm a pessimist in a strange world, scouring Israel to find hope, inspiration, and goodness. Or, in other words, modern-day Lamed Vavnikim, 36 righteous souls who can show us the way. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. I think I might have sensationalized her life too much. Maybe that's the danger of Wikipedia or the danger of the social media age. Once or twice during our interview, she laughed off a question and basically told me that not everything's a movie. The soundtrack doesn't blast with the moments of our lives that define us. For most of these moments, the real moments, we are alone. And it's the silence and stillness that make them moments. But for Yael Arad, there's more than meets the eye, more than meets the Wikipedia page, and more than meets her title as the first ever Israeli to win an Olympic medal. The year 1992. Two years before I was born, Yael, a shining young girl from Tel Aviv who trained in judo for years on years, ventured onward to the Madrid Olympics and earned a silver medal. The country erupted in pride. The Jewish state was a bit stronger, a bit more modern, a bit more worldly, a bit more integrated because of Yael, her craft, her skill, her discipline, her strength, and her conviction. That's a lot to put on one person. But is there more to the story? More than just a silver medal and a newly minted famous judo Olympian? Behind the glory, Yael stood. She stood proudly, and with good reason. But there's more to Yael than the medal that shines with her. I wanted to learn more, to dig into the depth and complexity of Yael Arad. So... I ventured to her office in Tel Aviv, where she now sits as a successful businesswoman of more than 20 years, to learn more about the woman behind the medal, the woman behind the Wikipedia page, and the woman behind the glory from 1992 that, 30 years later, hasn't dimmed one bit. This is my conversation with Israeli Olympian and businesswoman Yael Arad. So tell me about your childhood and the Israel that you grew up in. You know, I was born in uh, 67, a month before the war. I grew up in Israel of uh, the 70s, you know. It wasn't such a very modern uh, country like today or Tel Aviv, which I was born and grew up. I think was a little bit behind many of the cities that uh, I grew up upon, like, uh, you know, Paris, London. You know, the last 10 years, I'm so proud Tel Aviv became uh, such a great city with different angles and excitements. I'm very proud to the place we we got since, you know, I was a kid here and uh, what, uh, you know, achievements we have in Israel. So when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of knowledge here about uh, sport or, uh, you know, education about sport or uh, no one thought it's good to become well-being, working on your body. 
to be an athlete then it wasn't anything that anyone thought it's uh, you know something that you should do and uh, no one believed that the Israelis can be uh, in the top of, of any sport in the world and of course it was a period of wars and not a lot of prosperity in economics but we were happy kids we had uh, a lot of fun so it was great when did you start pursuing judo as not just an extracurricular, but something that took an incredible amount of discipline, time, and energy? I started judo when I was eight, but uh, when I was 16, I was already many years Israeli champion. And I was starting traveling since I was 12, 13 uh, in training camp and competitions. But uh, 16, I, I was in my first important training camp with all the major judo players, uh, women judo players in the world. I remember that training camp because that was the week, the day that I decided that I'm going to become the best in the world. I was training there with the European and world uh, champions, very strong women. They were 10 years above uh, my age. And when, when I looked at them, I, I said to myself, they're only human beings, flesh and blood, you know, and if they can do it, I can do it. But what I realized is that uh, I was training every day two hours. They were training three times a day, six to eight hours. And that was the point where I became professional. Not because anyone, you know, paid me for this, because I decided that I'm going to uh, put everything I can and any effort needed in order to become the best in the world. Do you remember looking uh, at competitors and thinking about where they're from, you know, I mean, how many Arab countries were there at that time that had no relationship with Israel? To interact with an Israeli could not be so great for them back home. Do you remember interacting with anyone? You know, we saw around the uh, Arab countries and the competitors, but, uh, you know, you try in sport, you, you, you try to look at, at people. You try to have no barriers. And, of course, from time to time, you, you have uh, these uh, confrontations uh, between countries or you know, diplomatic things. But as, as athletes, uh, the individual, you know, you try to look at people around and uh, be friendly. And uh, when you compete, you compete. When you are out of the mat, you try to be friendly and, uh, you know. What was it like? I mean, you're standing on the podium knowing that millions of people are watching on TV back home. Lead me through what that felt like. You know, it's uh, very, very special because uh, when you're an athlete and you compete, you know, in the most important competitions around the world, so it's always, first of all, your own dream, your own career, uh, with your own uh, effort and a lot, a lot, a lot of incremental things that you did in your journey. But there is also a layer, a very important layer of your nationality, your country, and your and the people that are watching you. So it's like two layers that are all the time together. And when, when you have this big uh, success, you know, there are these moments and uh, part of these moments that are so uh, special for you and for your family and for your coach and your team. And of course, there is the layer of, uh, you know, wow, the flag, the country, the success of the country, the voice of your country. So it's always uh, very integrated in each other. And uh, this is a very special uh, feeling. And uh, in, in the layer of your country and nationality, it's also, you know, we are Jewish. And we know that uh, so many people are around the world are watching us. And uh, it's not only the goyim that uh, are watching us and they, they know that we are, we are very good, but also, you know, 
children, youth, adults, Jewish people that are proud of, uh, you know, uh, Israeli girl that uh, yeah. is winning. So it's very emotional, very, very emotional from all these layers. So, so it's a very special uh, feeling. And for me, it was... You know, it's, it's a very special uh, moment in your life. The second that you understand that you won, you did it. You fulfill your uh, dreams. And uh, in, this mo- in these moments, it's a movie. You can't believe, you know, that it happens. You look at all the people that you love, uh, that are there with you. You think about your parents. My parents were not uh, there. My brother was there, one of my brothers that came with me, Yuval. And, uh, you know, everything is moving in your head. And uh, your heart is, you know, blowing. Uh, so it's it's a very special moment. Probably was the longest flight back home you ever took. It's like waiting to land in Israel. Uh, remember that in 92, we had one TV channel, 11, uh, what we called then, back then, Channel One. There were newspapers, not, uh, you know... It was a big, big mess, you know. There was a big celebration around me, and I was only 25. And you have to digest it to understand how you go back to your country as a hero. And, uh, you know, it's uh, something that until you land on the ground, you don't understand everything. And only then when you see all these thousands of people are waiting for you and many, so many presents and flowers and people are coming to hug you and everybody wants, uh, you know, then people wanted not selfie but autographs and sent thousands of uh, letters it are still uh, with me at home today so it's it's crazy and uh, part of your life be- become uh, different i i've read about a lot of people in sports but specifically olympics because it's very intense that the the transition afterwards from being an active olympian to being uh, i don't know if you call it retired olympian that it's really hard because how much how many of your days were spent only focusing on one thing and then once you check the box it's kind of like well what do i do right Um, was it hard for you this period the transition is is maybe the most difficult time in life of a professional athlete not only because uh, you know uh, we do it uh, 24 7 but because you become a star in in one field there is a big team around you and every second in your life, you dedicate uh, to become the best in the world. And some of us become part of the best three in the world. Some of us become a part of the best 10 in the world. But still, also when you're 10th in the world, you are one of the best in the world. When you retired, first of all, you know, it's, it's like sadness. I don't think there is another profession in the world that uh, in the age of 30, around 30, you just have to leave it and stop doing the thing that you love the most and and you're the best in it. So I don't think there is another uh, job, career like this. And then you have to start all over again. You are not uh, familiar with uh, the other skills, you know, and uh, you're not sure that there will be any uh, subject or or job in the world that, uh, that you will like or you will be good at. The transition uh, time, this uh, corridor to life is, is very difficult mentally. First of all, mentally and also financially, because we're not retiring with uh, money. The word retiring, it's kind of a different meaning. Yeah. You know, and back then also people uh, didn't realize it's a a career, you know. So, listen, I I retired from sport when I was really very famous and uh, Olympic medalist. First ever with a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, credit uh, from the public. 
I also earned money, quite a lot of money from advertisement and uh, many bonuses that I got. So I was, and, and I also was born in Tel Aviv with a, you know, good family, not rich family or something, but, you know, yeah. a, a well-established family. So when I retired, I had, you know, all the um, basic things that uh, someone needs, you know, in order to uh, go to second career. And it also was very difficult for me. Very difficult because of the heart, because of the of mentally. And I realized that when we retire, no one takes care of it, you know. So uh, no one from uh, the Olympic Committee, you know. So I decided that, uh, and I, I went through, you know, this process. I, I went to study business. I went into business. I'm already over 20 years in business. And I'm very happy with this uh, move that I did and I'm successful. So uh, I realized when I went back to the Olympic uh, Committee uh, to be part of the executive board, I said to myself that uh, this is the first initiative that I have to bring to the table because uh, we have to be with our athletes, not only when they're uh, succeeding and they're standing on the podium, but also after. And we have to guide them and uh, give them a hand through this corridor of transition. And uh, that's what I did. We, we established a new program um, seven years ago call it the day after, and we are working with uh, the athletes from uh, day after the army, when they are 21. We just explore them to many, many fields and subjects and uh, opportunities that uh, they have to know about. We, we help them to choose what they want to study in university. We help them to go to university. We fund the university, and uh, we fund also many other things. There are athletes that are not uh, studying in high school because they like gymnastic. Yeah. So we fund their examination after they retire. We we give them the funding for uh, you know uh, the graduation of school that they didn't do. We give them a lot, a lot of knowledge, and uh, we explore them to many different uh, things. And also, we open doors for them in Intel, in Salesforce, in Google, in Facebook, in uh, many places, in Coca-Cola, in many places where they can work. And it's very successful. I'm very proud for this program because I think this is a part of, uh, of what uh, we have, you know, to give back to the athletes. And on the other end of it, you're also helping through the Olympic Committee to get more Israelis to the Olympics. Can you speak about that? Yeah, this is uh, our main responsibility. The Olympic Committee of Israel is, should work very hard in order to build the delegation towards the, the Olympic Games. So uh, it's a never-ending so- story because uh, now, for example, we are two years before uh, Paris 2024, but we are also six years before LA uh, 2028. So we are now preparing. It's it's around the corner, Paris, because yeah. we had uh, COVID. So, you know, we, we have uh, only three years in between the Olympic Games, so it's really very short. To prepare an athlete, you need at least 10 years. 10 years, not from the day you start or she start training, but from the day you discover that this athlete, for example, in 12 years old, after maybe six years of uh, training already, so you see 12 or 14, okay, now you need uh, eight to 10 years in order to uh, prepare them uh, to the highest levels. It means that you have to invest a lot of money to build these athletes. We have today, uh, I can say, if I look back uh, 30 years ago, summer 92, it was my Olympic uh, medal. So um, since then, the Israeli sport did a lot of professionality. So today we have a funnel. We know how to take uh, athletes in the age of uh, 18, 20, bring them into the funnel and give them everything 
an athlete needs in order to uh, become the best in the world. Some of them, of course, will win medals uh, in the Olympics. Some of them will win medals in the Europeans or awards, but they will, they will be there. We have to bring enough uh, athletes in the basic of the pyramid, we have to bring enough athletes uh, to this funnel. And there we have a little bit of a problem because, uh, as I said, today, the athletes that are going to Paris, we, we can invest a lot, a lot in each one of them. We have maybe 100, 120 athletes that uh, probably um, two thirds of them will get to the Olympic Games. But we also, today, put a lot of energy to prepare the young athletes that are, we are looking at uh, LA 2028. We're doing it together with the sport ministry, with the federations, you know, the judo federations, the athletics federations, the gymnastic. But uh, we feel a lot of responsibility to give as much as possible to these uh, young athletes. And I think today we don't have enough funding for this. So uh, we're putting a lot of energy and money, but not enough. And I'm sure that if we could uh, bring, you know, another $5 million uh, a year to these young athletes, to this young generation, we can do more. And we are talking with the government, uh, hoping <laughs> that the government will not fall uh, in short time. But we are talking with them about bringing much more funding to the table in order to, uh, to really uh, increase the, the base of the pyramid. This part of you think it would be a lot easier, like mentally, right? To just say that part of my life, anything and everything Olympic is done or or do you realize that there's no way you could ever separate yourself from it even if you wanted to yeah uh, you know when i retired it was 96 i decided that i move uh, into business and i said to myself i'll take 20 years off from uh, sport in order to build myself a new career and uh, when i'll be independent you know financially i will come back to sport in order to give back to the community i grew up with so the time that I have uh, built myself in business, it was a time where also, you know, I, I was a young mother and uh, two children. So, you know, I, I had to struggle to build a career and uh, build my family. So I was out of sport and it was, it was good for me because you need sometimes uh, proportion, you know, you need some, sometimes to, to get a little bit uh, out of uh, focus from things that uh, your heart is uh, strongly there and then uh, to understand many things. And, uh, you know, during the, the first 15 years when I was out of sport, I, I built a lot of uh, abilities, new abilities in management, in uh, entrepreneurship, in uh, business development. And uh, it gave me a lot of perspective on, on the sport in Israel. And then when I was strong enough and uh, felt uh, ready to come back, I came back much more mature and with new skills uh, that I could bring into sport. So I feel today that uh, combining the rich uh, understanding and the perspective that I have of uh, elite sport and the rich uh, perspective that I have on uh, management and business, it's, it's a very good combination to lead the, the Israeli sport to new directions and uh, to take the many good things that we did until today and do new things as well. And how did your intense experience training and, and competing in the Olympics help you in business? There is no doubt that the tools that makes you a champion that you gain through your career, there are the tools that uh, helps you build new career for sure business, but also in, in many other uh, fields. 
because when you are an athlete, you know, from very young age, you know, you have to look at the children. You don't see a normal uh, child in the age of 10 that uh, will tell you next year, you know, in uh, October, I have a big uh, event or a big project or a big competition and uh, I'm going to do this, this and that until, the, you know, when I will be 11. Usually kids, you know, they don't care about you when you are an athlete. Even so young athlete, you look at life differently. So in the beginning, you look, uh, you know, at uh, one year for the, the local championship. And then, uh, you know, you, you look at your ability to go into the team. And then you have to uh, get used to another coach in a team and, and also have your coach in the club. And then you look at the international competitions. You come from uh, your local uh, arena that uh, you are the best in your uh, club and then in your country. And then all of a sudden you go abroad and you're like everybody and you lose. And then you have to struggle to get, get up from uh, disappointment and the failures and, the, and build everything from the beginning because now you are with the rest of the world and you are part of uh, 260 countries. It builds personality. It, it, it gives you a lot of tools. You know how to uh, dream big dreams in the age when other kids or youth are not doing this. And then uh, you know how to get failures and disappointment. You know how to calculate what you, you did right and what you did wrong. And you cannot run away from uh, these thoughts and understanding because you have a coach. And in other fields, you don't stand on the podium or lose. You, you're not a winner or a loser. You always can, you know, say why you, you didn't have the, the right chance or um, maybe you have a second chance. In sport, you don't have second chance. And then, you know, during the age of, I think, 12 to, to 20, you, you become really very mature. Very, very mature. Yeah. You saw maybe uh, this weekend uh, our gymnastic uh, athletes, uh, girls, that won uh, first place in, in the Europeans. So they are 16, you know, and to become a European champion in the age of 16, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. All these uh, tools of creating success, uh, being able to work with the failures and many things that are in between, you take to life. And yeah. uh, then you... You come uh, very mature and with a lot, a lot of abilities. Uh, and it doesn't matter in which uh, field, because once you will be engineer or, I don't know, in any other uh, field, you, you will be able to look to the future, to set goals, to go this, the whole journey. And, you know, so this is uh, quite unique. It's the same mind. You know, the mind doesn't leave you. Mind stays. Yeah. It's what you're doing with it changes. Yeah, but, ah. you, but you need uh, to understand it. Usually when uh, athletes are retiring, they, uh, there is this corridor, what I call corridor to life, that uh, they need people around them to help them understand exactly what you said. That, uh, it's the same person, the yeah. same abilities. You just have to uh, transform your abilities to another field. But first you have to choose what you want to do. And your heart has to fill for a new area that, uh, or space that you, you want to deal with. Knowing that nothing really at that moment can compare to what you've done. Yeah, at that moment, it's right. But uh, I think down the road, you find things that uh, you are very happy with them and uh, you can dream again and understand that not everything is like, not in every field you have to be all the time the best in the world or you have to uh, suffer from uh, all the time fighting or, or uh, yeah. competing, even though, you know, 
in life, you always, uh, you have to look forward. But I think that once, you know, not only for myself, but also from many friends of mine, once you, uh, you find the right uh, space, you can uh, be very satisfied. And of course, there are athletes that uh, never fulfill their dream, you know, during their uh, sports career. So they feel that uh, they could do more or they, f- they feel that they, you know, they missed something. So then I think that for the rest of your life, you will have this very special feeling about uh, something that you missed. But I think that uh, the part of the glass that is uh, full, you know, is uh, very full uh, for any athlete, not because he won, you know, titles, but because he did the journey. Once you do the journey, I can say it from the position I am at, that I'm, you know, I won any title that athlete can uh, dream of, uh, European, World, uh, uh, Olympics. And still, I think that there are many, many uh, colleagues of mine that didn't win as I won, but they have uh, a great personality and a great tools for life. It's not about, you know, the last winning. It's about the journey you do. What is the probability that in the next century there's an Olympic Summer Games in Tel Aviv? It's a tough question because, you know, uh, two reasons. One is uh, just professional reason that to uh, organize an Olympic Games, it's a big, big, big event, the biggest event in the world. You cannot find any other event uh, like this. So it's it's a big responsibility and you need a lot of space, a lot of venues, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, tools. So this is a, a big challenge, which we have to ask ourselves if here in Israel we are able to take this challenge. This is one question, and I, I don't like, uh, you know, in my life, I always, on one hand, I, you know, I like to win, and I, I believe in myself and in ourselves. But on the other hand, we have to, to come, uh, you know, realistic and ask ourselves, really, if we're able to do it in, in the manners that, uh, you know, in the quality and the responsibility and abilities that need. So this is one question, which I don't have the answer, but I think it's a big, big challenge. The other question is, you know, with all the the perspective of uh, diplomacy and, uh, and the relationship around the world, this is something that we have to consider. I think it's a big dream. And uh, if one day we will be able to do it, it, it will be a great, great thing for, for Israel and for each one of us, you know, as uh, Israel uh, citizens. But uh, it's, it's a big challenge. And by the way, we can start with uh, small initiatives like, uh, you know, there is the European uh, Games, the European Games for juniors, which are multi-sport events uh, with 3,000, 4,000 athletes, not 11,000, with uh, 40, 50 uh, countries, not 206. So we're thinking about, uh, you know, trying to uh, bring, after many one-sport events are here in Israel, like the European Championship for uh, gymnastics, for judo, for fencing. So I think we can uh, go step by step. It's a good way to go. Um, and the last question is, what's your like motto or favorite line from a song from that just sticks with you and that stuck with you for a while through this cool journey? <laughs> I think I have an inner passion that always uh, push me uh, forward. Uh, I don't need the external things to push me forward. Uh, I have it in myself, inside, and uh, these are the things that are, uh, you know, making me uh, moving uh, forward. Amazing. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. 
rode the elevator down to the lobby and chatted some more. I told her I would help her, if I could, with her work on the Israeli Olympic Committee. This is what Yael really cares about. It is, in many ways, who she really is. Beyond the medal, beyond the fame. She doesn't run away from the shining light of the medal that blinds other people. She's always Yael Arad, Israel's first medal-wielding Olympian. She knows this. She embraces it as much as she can and harnesses this energy to build the future. Future Israeli Olympians follow the path laid by Yael to build a life as a champion that's far more than a medal, far more complicated than fame, and far larger than any one person, pedestal or medal. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi. And our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zain. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.